Welcome everyone to the One More Game Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeremy Culver, aka Darcy, and with me is the California Thirst Quencher, Pete Leja. Pete, how you doing, man? I'm hanging in there, uh, recording this at a uh, 5:25 uh, due to my work schedule. Uh, appreciate everybody for showing up and showing out for the live broadcast on YouTube. Uh, with the uh, haven't been able to hammer down a time yet due to you know random call times and TV is whatnot as Jeremy you well know so uh, thanks for hanging there with us yeah it is definitely uh, when you work in television you sometimes are just victim to whatever is going on uh, in the news world and of course for you in the sports world uh, yeah in, so. in this case it's uh, surfing events in South Africa so see there you go sports sports events in south africa exactly so Mm -hmm. uh you know obviously again like as pete said thank you all for those that are tuning in here to youtube.com slash press start 28 hopefully you guys enjoy the show and if you're listening to this later on your podcast services thank you so much for tuning into the one more game podcast on your podcast service so we're going to get into the intro as always to get the discussion going so welcome everyone to the one more game podcast this is a podcast centered around making sure you're informed about all all the video game news happening around the world whether it's nintendo xbox playstation or pc if there's news that you need to know about we'll make sure that you know about it when you're listening to this on your podcast service make sure you hit the subscribe button or the follow button depending on what your service offers and if your podcast service allows reviews please leave a five-star review and tell everyone why you love the one more game podcast because we really enjoy bringing this to you each and every friday if you'd like to be part of the show by asking a question or suggesting a topic for discussion head on over to pressstartnews.net slash one more game and fill out that submission form and your submission could be used on the next episode or you can come join us when we're recording this live over at youtube.com slash press start and jump in the chat and we will reference it as those come up but if this is your first time to the podcast, welcome to the podcast. I hope you enjoy your listen, and I hope you enjoy your stay. But if you are returning, you already know what it is. We start off every single podcast talking about what we've been playing lately. So, Pete, what have you been playing lately? Dabbled in a couple of games uh, over the last week. I actually forgot to mention uh, that I had started playing it on last week's episode. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we did a story on uh, a sequel coming up called The Plague Tale Requiem. Uh, I had downloaded uh, the prequel, the first game, A Plague Tale Innocence, uh, off of uh, the Xbox Game Pass on my uh, desktop. And I started playing that. I completed the first couple of levels. I think I got to the start of level four at this point. Uh, it's a action-adventure stealth game, as uh, we discussed uh, in the sequel, uh, Requiem. Uh, developed by Asobo Studio and published by Focus Home Entertain- Interactive, and uh, it's a really interesting game. I really enjoyed it. It's like set in uh, like 1400s, uh, uh, set in the 1400s France during like the French Inquisition. So basically, what you're trying to do is uh, your little brother. Uh, uh, basically, the French Inquisition uh, invades your home and wants to kidnap your little brother, and the game plays out as you are the older elder sister going through while you and your brother are trying to evade the inquisition uh the black the bubonic plague the black plague is going on at the time uh so you're going through town some of the local towns and they're all basically on lockdown uh due to the black plague hitting them severely hard you're hunted by them like it uh you're hunted by uh a lot of the uh members by there i've read a little bit further along in the game 
and uh, there's some mysticism and stuff like that involved. So I'm a little interested in getting towards that. I already encountered it a little bit because, uh, like, there's a large infestation of rats in one of the earlier missions, and you cannot get close to them. Otherwise, they will just devour your character, and uh, you die and reset uh, your last save point. So or your last checkpoint. So it's really interesting. Uh, I'm really digging its vibe. It's a little, it's a little closer to home than one would hope or expect, uh, considering, uh, we just, uh, had a play of pandemic that started in 2020 where we were on a lockdown, obviously not as mystic and, uh, you know, devilish or whatever you want to call it as that. But, uh, it did, uh, there, there were a few months where I was just like, Oh God, this is, uh, uh, kind of, uh, creepy like how uh insane the pl- the plague back then would have gotten uh to a lot of the people living at that time well i uh i'm just curious because we talked about in that episode that i haven't played it yet but i have read from people that have been following it or that have played it and comparing it to what is the upcoming uh plague's tale requiem uh is there any like actual action sequence or is it more of stealthy hiding that you've experienced so far? Uh, the few levels I the few levels I completed was definitely a lot more stealthy hiding. You still have your sling, but it's more it seems like to complete puzzles. I did have a boss fight in one like the second level, but like that was more like uh, he was, uh, it was a dude in the armor that was chasing you down mm-hmm. with a big giant hatchet. And you used your uh, sling to knock off his armor and then hit him in the head. And the the, the idea being that the main character is, uh, you know, like a teenage, teenage girl, 13, 14, 12, something like that. Um, just a very young girl. And she's not used to actually like committing murder. One of the episodes, one of the chapters you actually go through, uh, you actually go through a church and she... You know, I was clearly distraught by uh, some of the things she has done up to this point and is asking and begging forgiveness from uh, one of the statues representing, I believe it's the Blessed Mother. Uh, I don't recall off the top of my head if it was the Blessed Mother, if it was something just God, you know, related to God in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you really get a feel for this characters, like what they're going through. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting in the storytelling. I really enjoyed it so far. Uh, take it a little piece by piece uh uh because they're it's not really a survival horror a survival horror game but there are survival horror elements mm-hmm. and uh i'm a wuss uh so uh <laughs> sometimes i'm into, that's kind of the part of the reason why i haven't gotten super far into the game even though i have been enjoying it uh the thriller aspect sometimes is just like all right i want to calm down and watch something happy now thank you yeah totally get it uh especially like you're saying like if if you're not uh, a fan of like horror elements that thrill that gets built up inside you might be like all right i need to i need to simmer down now i need to go do something different so exactly totally get it i want to recommend as you did say that the game is on xbox game pass right now so please if you Mm -hmm. are interested in it go check it out and a plague's tale requiem is coming out for game pass uh and if you haven't already or if you have don't have an xbox over on PlayStation, it was a PlayStation Plus game. So if you didn't play it yet, it may be buried in your backlog of games that you claimed on PlayStation Plus. So that's another uh, avenue to go check it out as well. Uh, for myself, I honestly didn't play a whole lot of video games this past week. Uh, just combination of being busy um, as well as just not in the, the the right headspace, I guess, for playing games. But there were two games in particular that I played, uh, more of The Last Remnant 
And then for uh, old listeners of the podcast, I think this was before you joined as the co-host, Pete. But Throwback. my wife and I did return to playing uh, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles on Switch. Uh, so oh, we, nice. we had some uh, uh, nights playing that together. And I still really enjoy that game it would i likely would have already beaten it and been done with it if it wasn't a a game with me and my wife so of course we both have to be in the mood and in the setting to want to play uh and just as a quick funny story the first night that we actually went to go play it got everything together boot the game up it's like 10 o'clock at night so it is fairly late we get ready to play we started playing for maybe 10 minutes and i look over and uh my wife had fallen asleep and so i was like okay i guess we gotta stop playing already uh so that's always that. the uh, that's always the risk with uh those visual novelist games i really wanted to try that one i thought about buying it numerous times uh but same thing happened to me when i tried playing uh fate stay night uh going through the early parts after i got home from a particularly late day of work one time i just fell asleep passed out within like 20 minutes playing yeah. the game myself but uh, so you know yeah. Yeah. And so like it's it's definitely a fun game. Uh it is very interesting if you are into detective uh games and trying to solve like puzzles, so to speak, because the court case itself is basically a puzzle. Um you gotta kind of figure out what's what's the right evidence or questions to press and stuff like that. But it's very enjoyable. I would recommend people pick it up. It is a, a great game. And I do hope at some point either A, a new entry comes out, or B, the other uh, 3DS titles that never got a port yet to the Nintendo Switch gets ported so that more people have the opportunity to play it to eventually convince Capcom to put a new entry in there uh and then mm-hmm. again just to kind of reiterate what i said last week last remnant is a lot of fun you should definitely go check it out and i think i could be wrong but i think it just went on sale for ten dollars on playstation or it might have just came off sale but i think it was it just now went on sale for ten dollars on playstation the last uh remnant remastered so definitely worth the ten dollars in my opinion uh, at the very least so you should ask your buddy. He's the one that paid for it, right? <laughs> Was uh, it worth the well, $2? well, maybe. I'll just, <laughs> while we're actually doing this, because I have uh, my PlayStation app on my phone, I am going to check Ooh. real quick because the reason is is like uh, one sale just went up and another sale mm-hmm. just started. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that's why no, I was trying to like remember Steam. which part it is. Yes, it is on sale right now on PlayStation for ten dollars uh and it runs through the twenty first. So um you got some time. Got some time. But anyway, that's what we've been playing lately. Let's get to our gaming catalog because uh with some news that actually dropped right before uh we started recording this uh we now ex- have a very beefy gaming catalog to get through we have gamestop is firing its cfo and layoffs ensue e3 is going to return next year rockstar shelved some projects to focus on one big one and we have the release date of god of war ragnarok that's all coming up here on the one more game podcast but as i said we're going to start with our main title and that is a GameStop fires its CFO and announcing layoffs. So we're going to Axios.com for this article. It is written by Stephen Totillo and uh, Fidel Alassan. But I also am going to end up switching over at some point to an NBC News article written by Melissa Repko. Uh, So it goes as follows on Axios. GameStop Chief Financial Officer Mike Recurpi 
Recupero is headed for the exit and the gaming giant will lay off a, quote, number of employees as it strives for, quote, sustained profitability. CF CEO Matt Furlow wrote in a memo to employees obtained by Axios. Why does this matter? Well, Furlong said that the move is aimed at reducing costs and shifting toward an intense, intense owner's mentality for the failing business turned meme stock. Obviously, that is in reference to the stock that skyrocketed during the pandemic. Uh, GameStop has been hemorrhaging cash while promising better days ahead. Now, Recupio recupero excuse me will be replaced by cfo by chief accounting officer diana judge uh, as the company pursues growth in sales and launching new profits for long wrote Furlong said that the cuts come after the company hired more than 600 workers in 2021 and the first half of 2022 leaders are now in a better position to understand its quote transformative needs he said gamestop will lay off employees as well at its publication game informer and the company will also make quote significant investments in store leaders and employees, which Furlong called the heart of GameStop. Now, uh, this is in Axios. It says what he's saying, quote, everyone in the organization must become even more hands-on and embrace a heightened level of accountability for results. Now, going over real quick to the NBC article, uh, the layoffs, of course, were announced in the memo uh, that basically was intended to, quote, reduce bloat at GameStop as GameStop invests in other areas. And following this announcement, shares of the company fell more than 6% in extended trading after it had gained more than 15% during regular sessions. So, Pete, I know I sent this to you, of course, last minute, but what is your reaction to seeing this happen at uh, GameStop and, of course, because it is owned by GameStop, the repercussions it also is being affected at Game Informer. Uh, my first reaction was, uh, this sucks. Uh, anytime a company decides it wants to lay off a bunch of workers, it's really bad. It's never good for the people uh, uh, that are working there, especially when they this, uh, this company in particular decided that they hire, wanted to hire more than 600 workers uh, between last year and the first half of this year. Uh the article, as you uh, stated, the leaders are now in a better position to understand its transformation needs. That's a weird statement to make, considering like like we just uh, stated, uh, the company hired you know 600 workers over the last year and a half or so. Uh, you, what were your transformation needs before? Then how would this information had changed in the last 18 months or whatever? Um, it's. Uh, really dis- really depressing and really distressing the 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 quote that always uh, leaps out to me and it's uh it's one of those that's uh it's one of those kind of quotes that always comes out it's uh, the company will make a significant investment in store leaders and employees which furlong called the heart of gamestop well you're also sounds like you are releasing a lot of those employees so what's this significant investment that you were t- discussing if you are also releasing a lot of the employees uh, that doesn't sound great for Game Informer if they are focusing on uh, uh, store leaders and employees because obviously Game Informer is the actual, uh, it's a news article. Maybe they'll focus more on uh, freelance writers now instead of just having their own writers. Uh, I think it's uh, having freelance writers available is good because uh, there are a lot of them and they can have access to things your regular writers may not, but your regular writers are also the ones that are able to have connections and go on beats and have the ability to uh, write articles and features stuff and things like that with the companies that you may not be able to get just straight up with uh, uh, freelance uh, 
freelance writers because they may not have those connections as closely as you and your company, uh, as you and your company uh, may not or may have because you had your people there for so long. The uh, the biggest quote, the one last one I want to focus on is everyone in the organization must become even more hands on and embrace a heightened level of accountability for results. Interesting uh, quote, because does that include the people that uh, at the top that are not getting laid off, like the CEO himself, Matt Furlong? Because uh, usually that's not what that means. Usually that means the people that have to be more hands-on and be more focused are the people beneath the, the top. And they're also the ones that get punched the most by these kind of uh, things happening, as opposed to the people that are higher up, in the, higher up in the company and the stockholders, which even if the company goes under, most likely probably still uh, have a little bit of money that they have left over, whereas the people that are underneath now have to look to new jobs, as we are seeing since they're releasing a bunch of people. Yeah, and also I just want to add to it with with that last part that you said there. Uh, I know firsthand from some friends who've worked for GameStop, as much as I love GameStop, and um, as a, you know, I guess like as a gamer growing up, right, GameStop was, you know, kind of that pride and joy, so to speak, of where you went and bought a ton of your games. Uh, the employees already have to work a ton and and don't get, so to speak, overtime pay for it. I know, like, for instance, like a store manager, it is ri- like in their pay, so to speak, they're salaried, but some of them have to work 50 60 hours and it is like written into their thing that they have to work that so they don't get the you know overtime pay after 40 hours so my first thing when i saw that statement is what do you mean by even more hands-on and embrace a heightened level like does that mean those people have to work even more hours do they have even less of a life outside of work uh what about the people that are part-time employees or full-time employees but at a lower level does that mean now they have to work more are they going to see extra pay out of this and i don't just mean getting an extra you know overtime pay but i just mean like are they going to get a bump in pay are they part of that we're going to reinvest a significant investment in storm leaders employees Uh, and then as you said with the game informer talk i also Fond memories for Game Informer. Love Game Informer. And I know right now, of course, you just talked about it last week. You had to up your uh, GameStop rewards member. Part of the benefits of the GameStop rewards is getting access to Game Informer and getting their magazine. Or, of course, a lot of people opt to get the digital format of it now. But it's already, in a sense, was a shell of its former self because GameStop mishandles that company all the time. Now they're laying off people. What the heck is it going to be now? I really wish and I really hope as much as it, I think like GameStop doesn't want to do this. I hope someone just buys Game Informer off of GameStop's hands. If they're going to be focusing on store employees and store uh, leaders, then if you're really not investing into this publication, then you should sell it to a company that actually wants to invest in it it could it still could be a great thing we see websites like you know uh, ign games uh game spot excuse me um v- video games chronicles you know we re- we report on their articles all the time here on the podcast they're thriving they're doing things that are very well game informer could very well be that case GameStop just continues to mishandle them over and over. And so, of course, the news of the number of layoffs haven't came out, but I 
I'm curious what happens. I did know I, I have it pulled up here uh, on my Twitter, but uh, the guy who runs their um, their podcast literally canceled the show this week because of the news and was like, I'm so mad about this. And so it's like, what what does that mean? Is there people at the podcast that got impacted by this or is it just, you know, basically redundant people? But of course, as you know, working in news and myself too, uh, sometimes the redundant people are there for a reason because it's a lot to take on to do some of these things. Sometimes they help shoulder the load so that you're not stressed out to the max as you're covering all these reporting aspects and stuff. So I don't know. I I feel like this is definitely, as you started with, it sucks. Uh, but I, I, I just don't see how this ends up being good for Game Informer long term. I just feel like this is definitely a though the writings on the walls that they're gonna they're gonna trim the fat so to speak with the with Game Informer. Yep. And uh as you mentioned, we know from working in television, uh you don't need people until you need them. Um uh a lot a lot of times a lot of owners and this is not just in tv but it's the one it's the uh industry that we've interacted with the most uh you'll have days where you know there won't be a lot going on and those will be the days that your bosses will come through and be like why are you standing around why aren't you doing anything what's not why aren't you it's like well because you know next week when we have three live events or when we have a news election night we're going to need these extra hands and that's why they're here now because not every night is election night not every night we have a, a Dodgers, a Lakers, and a Galaxy game going on. So, you know, sometimes uh, there'll be a lot of there'll be some dark days, and by dark days is a lingo for days where you're just not live. You just have a bunch of pre-recorded programming, and then you're going to have a lot of people that are going to do some regular maintenance and then be done. And it's kind of the same thing. You don't need people until you need them, and it, it's just a shame that the uh, that people in charge are just like. Well, we don't need you, so we're cutting you. Yeah. So again, we started with uh, talking about the how much this sucks. I really do hope that the employees infected by this, not just at Game Informer, of course, at all of the jobs in uh, the GameStop umbrella that is getting laid off. I hope you guys bounce back on your feet. I hope that you guys find something soon to replace where uh, you just were at. But again. I, I don't see what what good this is going to do long term, and and games GameStop has to figure out something because they this has been an ongoing issue for many years now. Let's go to our next article. This is coming from Video Games Chronicle, and it is uh, coming from Andy Robinson. PAX organizer Reed Pop is officially taking over E3. It goes as follows: Reed Pop, the events company behind PAX, EGX, Star Wars Celebration, and New York Comic Con, will officially take over the running of E3 in 2023. The entertainment software. Association announced the news on Thursday following recent confirmation that the flagship show will return in June 2023 for its first in-person event in four years. As well as running high-profile events in the U.S. and Europe, Reed Pop is the owner of Gamer Network, which runs websites such as Eurogamer, Game, GamesIndustry.biz, VG247, and Rock Paper Shotgun, and is the network partner of VGC. Commenting on the news, Reed Pop said E3 2023 would welcome back, quote, publishers, developers, journalists, content creators, manufacturers, buyers, and licensors, and highlight digital showcases and feature in-person consumer 
consumer components. It is claimed it has listened to feedback from the gaming community and would honor what's always worked about the games industry events while reshaping what didn't. Quote, it is a tremendous honor and privilege for Repop to take on the responsibility of bringing E3 back in 2023, said Lance Fensterman, president of Repop. With the support and endorsement of the ESA, we're going to build a world-class event to serve the global gaming industry in new and broader ways than we already do at Repop through our portfolio of world-leading events and websites. Uh, there's more to this article that I would recommend doing, but Pete, we talked about it, of course, in a couple of episodes about does uh, gamer do gamers need a summer game event uh, conference or so to speak? E3 is rising from the ashes, coming back to form. Are you excited or do you see hope for this event? Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, there, uh, we rep- uh, there was reported a few uh, about a month ago, June 7th, thereabouts, uh, that uh, ESA had said it was planning on bringing E3 back in 2023. And we were kind of more skeptical back then. Than we were now. Than we were now. Now we have a little more information. We are certainly uh, uh, can kind of get a bigger idea or a better idea of what's going on. And it's really interesting that uh, Reed Pop is grabbing the handle on this. They have had numerous uh, conventions, as you said, uh, that are taking uh, they've taken care of. They've had the PAX conventions since 2008. They started New York Comic Con in 2006. They got Florida SuperCon starting uh, July 8th. Uh, that'd be tomorrow from this recording. Uh, till the 10th. So they do a lot of conventions. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but the onus is on Reed Pop to get it right. I mean, that, let's be crystal clear about that. They really only have one chance to make this a success before people will probably tune them out again because we've had this wasn't just like this wasn't just a disappointing uh, E3 like the last few years since the pandemic started. It was uh, treading downwards before that. So if they're going to do something different, they're going to need to grab people's attention. I would think personally that if they're starting something from the ground up, that they would honestly uh, try to like go try to go smaller for the first year, especially since even if they've uh, since they just announced this uh, officially, I assume that the this was only recently. Reed Pop decided. Uh, to come to terms and say, hey, we're actually going to do this. So getting, uh, uh, we're going to talk about another convention here, at least briefly, a little bit, BlizzCon. Uh, BlizzCon, I know they uh, they plan their stuff like months, uh, like o- over a year in advance. Uh, E3 is going to have to be something as big as that, the same thing. That's why I would think that they would start somewhat small. But even in the article you listed, uh, they, discuss, they mentioned, uh, I believe this quote is from, Company's head of games, B2B, Christopher Dring, says, uh, We discussed ways to embrace everything that takes place during E3 week, whether they're part of the show floor or not. And that includes things like the PC Game Gamer Show and Devolver Digital's Car Park. And yes, Jeff Keighley's Summer Games Fest. That is a huge, huge, huge amount of people that they're trying to connect. And I don't know if they'll be able to take care of that. The one last thing I would like to uh, cover is... They already have something, a, a gaming convention. PAX is basically that. They are more fo- necessarily focused on tabletop gaming. Uh, they do have other game stuff involved as well. But uh, if, I'm interested in what Repop... We still get to the core problem is what 
what what is the goal of this convention? Do they want it to be like another PAX? Do they want it to be like a you know, like New York Comic Con or San Diego Comic Con, only video game focused? Something completely different. And if they want it to be something completely different, how do you make it uh, make that convention different from something like PAX or Comic Con? I think definitely you hit the nail on the head there at the end. As you as Reed Pop is taking this over, you're gonna have to figure out a way. How do you dif- differentiate this from PAX? And PAX, as you said, you know, of course, is focused on tabletop games. But I think if I'm remembering correctly, Gearbox announces a lot of things at PAX. I remember I think Borderlands 3 got announced there or some of the uh, some of the voice actors at the very least got announced there at at a PAX event. But it is a very much convention, right? It's very much a attend as a bunch of fans and go see a bunch of things, meet and greets, all that, artists, alley, booths, all that jazz, right? You can't have packs, you know, similar. Like, you know what I mean? It has to be something adjacent. different. Yeah, adjacent. That's the term I was trying to use. You can't have packs adjacent. you got to have something different. And so I do wonder... Does this mean E3 returns to a more industry event where it is the public may not be invited as in most recent years trying to do where it goes back to that? I mean, and they do say it. I know they say, you know, and feature in-person components or consumer components. But again, it says we welcome back publishers, developers, journalists, content creators, manufacturers, buyers and licensors. And then later on says and feature in-person consumer components. So I think that statement alone kind of shows where their mindset is on e3 again they said they're you know a little bit later they're going to honor what's always worked and reshape what hasn't i i see this as being maybe more of a return to form doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the highs so to speak that former e3s do but i could see just based off of those two statements this is more going to be focused on industry event again there may be some smaller excuse me in-person events that do happen out of it again they they mentioned it and i know that a lot of people that maybe watch e3 but don't know about the ins and outs of it the devolver digital parking lot thing has been going on for years even when it was not open to the public they just always did stuff at the parking Mm -hmm. lot across the street from where e3 happened so that's like cool incorporating it i do also want to say as a quick mention uh it's funny that the guy the guy in the quote said uh jeff Keeley's summer games fest it's not games it's game fest uh, and it is really funny if you type in summergamesfest.com and you see what's there it is hilarious i still can't believe somebody uh purchased the domain to do that but I highly recommend somebody <laughs> type that in after this because it's kind of it's pretty funny. Um, I'll do it now. Watch our podcast for now. Yeah, do it yeah, later. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm just curious off of that, and I do agree with you and understand in the same breath why they wouldn't. You said, of course, they would start small and build it up. I don't think you can technically with it being the name E3. Starting small is too difficult when you've already had such a long established name to it, right? It's not something new that you can make small and build into it. People, regardless of how closely you've been following E3, you hear E3 and you're a gamer of some sort, you're thinking big instantly. And that's the tough task that they have. And I do agree with you, though, as you said, they kind of only got one shot at it. 
it, it doesn't have to be amazing right off the bat, but it's got to be good enough for people to go, okay, I'm taking notice or I see this is going back in a great direction. If it mm-hmm. is, a, I won't call it a disaster because I, I, while I did give bad remarks to it, I won't say it was that terrible. But if this is not, if this is as bad as the 2021 or yeah, no, 2020, excuse me, 2020 digital only E3 event. I think you're gonna have a lot of people just tune out E3 from here on out, and you can't. Yep. So you can't have that. Agreed. Uh, and so then, as you said, though, just as a quick segue to talk real briefly about it, BlizzCon is also supposed to return next year, as uh, claimed by the Blizzard boss. And this is from Chris Scolian from Video Games Chronicle, Video Games Chronicle, as well. And it is uh, the president says that it is coming back in 2023. The annual gaming convention designed to celebrate Blizzard's game hasn't had a live in-person event since 2019. And Blizzard head Mike Yabara has told the Los Angeles Times that. Are underway to bring it back. We previously announced we're taking a pause on BlizzCon while we reimagine it for the future, but we do but do want to return to a live event that enables us to celebrate the community. We recently hired a new leader of BlizzCon, April McKee, who is hard at work on that plan. We are committed to bringing back BlizzCon in 2023. Obviously, the pandemic threw a a wrench into things, and then it was looking like BlizzCon uh, was going to be taking uh, or did take events last year as a online only event but there was supposed to be a physical event later however things kind of went you know haywire and then of course with the sexual discrimination and harassment scandals going on with blizzard then it got delayed uh and canceled even further so pete i do got to ask you not of course because of the the scandal or anything but just as a person who not only went to blizzcon but worked blizzcon i guess for you how does this announcement feel uh kind of mixed uh i'm excited that because the people that put this on are incredibly uh excited they're always excited they're always uh, a lot of people are hard workers and just even with the harass the people that disgustingly did harassment uh, sexual harassment and did the discrimination although those people are jackasses there's a lot of other people a lot of good people that also worked on this and put a lot of hard work and their soul into a lot of these events and want these people uh, want the people to come over to uh, see BlizzCon and see the giant statues and see the events and the world championships. And they want uh, they want all of these people to enjoy themselves and show their love for Blizzard games as much as the fans love the Blizzard games as well. They've It's a one big giant love fest, I guess I should say. Um, so it, I'm really happy for those people. And I hope that it is uh, a great event and they are able to include be more inclusive uh with everyone and uh stop being dicks at the top basically now i i want to ask you right before we move on don't mm-hmm. worry your employer is not listening are you going to try to try to work this are you going to try to go back and work it i don't even know if any of the people that i was in my contacts are still there uh yeah. i might try to reach out to them uh but uh 
I, I don't foresee myself working. Uh, Stay again. tuned is what we're basically saying. Stay tuned. All right, we're going to the next. <laughs> we're I might the... be fired tomorrow when I walk in. Who knows? <laughs> we're going to the next article here. This is coming from Kotaku, written by Zach Zweizen, and it is Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto 4 remasters shelved after Grand Theft Auto trilogy debacle. Following recent rumors, Kotaku can confirm via its sources that Rockstar Games is currently focused on developing Grand Theft Auto 6 and has shelved all remakes following the poor reception of Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition. So, of course, we do know that Grand Theft Auto 6 is in development. They have said that, but this is the part is being I guess considered as down below. Yesterday, a tweet from Tez, an often reliable and trusted GTA insider, caught the attention of many Rockstar fans. According to the tweet, Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto 4 remasters were no longer on the table, possibly due to the horrible mess that was last year's Grand Theft Auto trilogy remakes. While some questioned if this was true, the writer can confirm that Tez's tweet is accurate and lines up with what they've been told. And then this is, of course, from the tweet. It says, as per a reliable source with clear accuracy on Rockstar plans, remasters of GTA 4 and Red Dead Redemption 1 were on the table a few years ago. But Rockstar chose not to proceed with the projects in mind. The poor reception of the trilogy DE might be a reason behind that decision. Back to the Kotaku article. According to sources with knowledge of Rockstar's plans and future projects, the publisher is hoping that folks will forget all about the critically pan and botched classic GTA remasters released last year while it focuses most of its resources and energy on its next big game, Grand Theft Auto 6, which Rockstar, Rockstar earlier this year confirmed was in development. However, while the current plan is to get Grand Theft Auto 6 finished and out the door, I am told, or of course the writer is told, a Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto 4 remaster aren't entirely out of scope and could still happen in the future after GTA 6 ships. Kotaku has contacted Rockstar Games for comments. Now, there's more to this article, but I'm going to kick it over to you, Pete. So, I didn't have it in here, but Rockstar did come out with news today talking about kind of the future of Grand Theft Auto Online as well as Red Dead Online. And it sounds like they are, of course, still putting out content for those things, but will soon be reshaping some of the people towards Grand Theft Auto 6 So instead of doing major content overhauls like you had been getting. So, with that said, first off, I got to ask you, are you excited for a Grand Theft Auto 6 uh, possibly coming out now in a sense sooner because more resources are being pumped into it? And then on the second side of it, uh, how disappointed are you to hear about a remaster of Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto 4 is currently off the table? Uh, I'm excited for Grand Theft Auto's fans. Uh, specifically the ones that are waiting for Grand Theft Auto 6. Uh, the last Grand Theft Auto 5, I believe, came out 2012. Yeah, was what I, was I in saw. college. <laughs> oh, man, we're getting old. Uh, it's, uh, uh, so I'm, it's been over a decade. Uh, the fact that we haven't heard any confirmed information about Grand Theft Auto 6 other than that they are working on it leads me to believe that at best, this might be coming out winter of 2023 and more likely way beyond or beyond that. So we're going to have to wait and find out, see how long that's going to be. But uh, I've never personally played uh, much Grand Theft Auto, uh, but uh, I know a lot of people who are fans of it. It's a very popular series. Uh, all you have to do is look at the fact that they're developing a sixth version. It's not to include all the extra versions like the online that they've had. And, uh, and how much money uh, that pulls in? <laughs> yeah, San Andreas, and you know all that, all the all the extra eccentricities and extras that they do. 
Uh, so I'm happy for that. It's a little bummer that they're not doing a remake, uh, remake like they did um, GTA Trilogy or a remaster of Red Dead Redemption and GTA 4. But as we uh, talked about in the article, it was a horrible mess uh, to get a little context on how horrible of a mess uh, they almost uh, they put the classic games back on sale on the uh, Rockstar uh, website store because the definitive edition trilogy was doing so bad and the new remastered trilogy if you bought it via rockstar store you were going to receive these classic games for free the original versions so they were so bad that they're like you can have the, the old ones back you can have the old ones back uh, we understand that this is uh this is really bad um uh one note for people that are one thing that kind of makes me interested in what they were going to do with the Red Dead Redemption and GTA 4 remaster is that uh, it must be noted that the developer for the new versions of the trilogy, the definitive edition, was built using the Unreal Engine developed by Grove Street Games. It was not developed by Rockstar. So if Rockstar was going to develop the, the remasters this time around, chances are they would probably be a little better. But on the other hand, when they got their Rockstar got their hands involved in it, uh, they locked out uh, people out of playing the remastered titles for days because they had to remove files that weren't supposed to be in the game. Uh, there were some rumors that it was uh, some of these, a lot of the files were songs that Rockstar had no longer had licenses for, so who knows what's going on there. So they weren't completely absolved from blaming that either. But it is kind of a bummer because Red Dead Redemption is a great game. Uh, I never got close to beating it. I didn't really love how the horse, <laughs> the horse riding went because it almost <laughs> felt like you had to ride the actual controller to make it work. My hands still are like have nightmares of twisting all over the controller to try to make the horse work and aim the gun and fire the gun. And it's I, ha I have nightmares from that. But other than that, the game was really awesome. And I would love a updated version of that personally. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. The other one that I'd really want a, a remaster or remake of is Red Dead Revolver because Red Dead Revolver was a phenomenal game and those that haven't played it should go play it because i think it's on sale or you can still pick it up on uh, playstation and xbox but yeah kind of sucks that of course red dead redemption is not a remake remaster of it is not being on the table at the moment grand theft auto 4 i was not a huge fan of i never actually played too much of it but i love grand theft auto i've played a, almost all of them and i beat grand theft auto 4 or 5 excuse me back when it first released on the ps3 i have never returned to it since and despite the fact that i own it now on other systems because of course it came out for free for me on those things but like again you kind of went back to you know how beloved or how much does uh fans love grand theft auto just look at grand theft auto 5 and the number of releases that it's out for and the consoles and like there's the memes of that it's going to be coming out on the ps8 at some point or something like that because it just comes out for everything survive three console generations yeah believe that it is it is insane but it is a, it is a great game and really well done and of course that's why people absolutely love it i mean there's a huge especially with Re uh grand theft auto online there's a huge community of like role players who play characters and stories and all that jazz on the online servers and like it's honestly really impressive you should check out some of those streams or even youtube videos of it because it's actually really really interesting uh but <laughs> i will say i guess to give support for what you said rockstar notoriously do not say too much about a game until it 
comes out. Uh, like we don't oh, see too much about it until right before it comes out. When okay. they have talked about it early is usually when things don't go good. Uh, no. I think it's like, um, oh, what a God, what is the name of the game? I think it's it's not Mafia, uh, but there's a game that like they talked about early and it's it's literally never seen the light of day. It's I think it got canceled eventually, but like, uh, oh man, it's a game that people refer to. So like. It's just Grant Rockstar typically doesn't say too much until the game's about to come out. So the fact that we haven't seen too much outside of hey, it's in development, I could see what you're saying. Next year, maybe around uh, an E3, not saying it'll be E3, but somewhere around that time, they may say, hey, Grand Theft Auto Six coming out this October or this August mm-hmm. or something of that yeah, nature, yeah. Um, or the very least, it might be until 2024 doing the same thing. But I, I don't think we'll see too much about the game until it's fairly close to to coming out. But who knows? Maybe we'll see Grand Theft Auto Five Edition Part Two something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they really love that that's game. The real, so. Yeah, that's the real six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. All right, now we're going to our next article. This is coming from IGN, written by Cat Bailey, and it is Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII won't feature new story elements, but that doesn't mean it's a basic remaster. It goes as follows: Ever since Final Fantasy VII remake concluded with its shocking reveal, fans have been speculating on the possibility of a Crisis Core remaster. The moment was certainly right for an updated release of the prequel starring Zack fair the warrior with a suspicious resemblance to cloud strife and aside from its connections to final fantasy 7 remake story crisis core has been difficult to find in recent years forcing fans to resort to emulators and other measures that made square enix announcement of crisis core remaster which coincided with last month's reveal of final fantasy 7 rebirth all the more welcome it's not any mere port either square enix is overhauling the graphics the interface and somewhat controversially the voice cast quote various improvements have been made to nearly all of other scenes and battles to a point where it could be said that the work we are doing is akin to creating a remake producer mark uh, mariko sato said however as the core elements such as the story are grounded in the original work we call it a remaster uh i'm gonna kind of skip down a little bit uh towards uh, the bottom uh, of this article i'm trying to see where was it that i wanted to jump to uh Right here. Uh, So we're going to jump down real quick to about the middle section of this article. When Reunion was finally announced last month, fan reaction was largely positive with plenty noting what seemed like significantly enhanced visuals. But there were also questions. Just how deep would this remaster or remake go? And what about the voice cast led by Rick Gomez who did so much to bring Zack to life in the first place? On the first point, it's apparent that Crisis Core will be a substantial update indeed. In addition to overhauled graphics, Crisis Core will be fully voiced while also featuring a newly arranged soundtrack. The gameplay is also getting an update, with Zack's attack combos now being linkable and limit breaks being accessible at any time, not just when the pop-up in the in-game slot machine known as the Digital Mind Wave System, or DMW. The DMW, for its part, will remain largely the same, meaning the elements such as leveling will remain random as ever. In the meantime, all the original's assets are being replaced with updated versions utilizing Unreal Engine 4, the intention being to be, quote, visually aligned with up to the standards of the Final Fantasy 
Fantasy VII Remake, according to Sato. To that end, the PC version will target an impressive 120 frames per second, while the PS5 and Xbox Series versions will be 60 frames. Uh, Sato didn't elaborate on the Switch version, but did say there would be differences in the resolution and FPS. And I'm going to say this last part and then kind of pass it over to you. Quote, our main purpose with this title is that we wanted to a really wide range of players to be able to play on whatever platform that they desired. So we're looking forward to seeing which platform that player goes for, uh, players go for, because the gaming experience will be solid and the same great experience on all platforms. Now, Pete, I didn't read it out loud, but that voice actor Gomez is actually being replaced by Caleb Pierce, who uh, was in the Final Fantasy VII remake. But what do you think about the news about this article? There's a lot there, so again, I, requ- I request you guys go um, check out the article. But what was your thoughts, Pete? A uh, few things. Uh, the the replacing of the voice cast uh, tends to happen a lot. It's happened with games like Sonic the Hedgehog. They want everything uh, to be uniform. They want the same voice actors and actresses. Uh, the voice, uh, same people voicing the same characters, so people understand that they are the same characters when they hear them. Um, it's kind of a bummer for the original voice cast, but it also allows uh, keeps everything in line and gives you know Caleb Pierce an opportunity to show his uh show their chops uh brianna white is also replacing uh or being cast again as Aerith. she did Aerith in final fantasy 7 remake to keep in line with that the biggest thing that i have question about that is they're saying here that they're keeping a lot of the story elements the same uh if not all the story elements the same but that makes me question uh that's the probably the biggest wonder why they would replace the voice actors because if you play the original Crisis Core, the original Crisis Core story doesn't really going to be super in line with how it ends compared to what's going on currently with the uh, with the Final Fantasy VII remake as the story is continued now. Uh, the article says that Sato adds, uh, uh, shoot, who is it? Sato? Uh, yeah, it's towards towards the bottom. You were kind of at it. No, I was trying to find out what the person's uh, full name is. But anyway, the, it says Sato adds that there are no plans to include any new elements in the story, meaning new side quests and other storylines are mostly out of the window. Like you said, that doesn't necessarily preclude, say, a post-credits teaser that sets the stage for Rebirth. Well, if you know how Crisis Core ends, it's kind of weird how they would be able to set the stage for Rebirth in that aspect. Uh, I guess it'd be like a, a, a kind of like a split mirror on which way the path goes, but... Uh, the biggest, uh, the other, the, probably the uh, couple uh, big points that actually dawned on me while I was reading the article, how will the gameplay work since they said that they are keep the uh, DMW system is mostly going to be unchanged, but they also said that they're upgrade, updating other parts of the fighting, uh, fighting and gameplay aspect. And the DMW is really integral to the storytelling leading towards the end of the game. Uh, for people that have played Crisis Core and beat it, they know what I'm talking about. So how will that, uh, how will they keep that one going? And the other one is, there's a quote that says, uh, producer, producer Yoshinori Kitase, he's a veteran producer, says, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake's successful development is what led Square Enix rather, to realize that other stories from the universe could be updated as well. So does that mean we're going to look at something like a Dirge of Cerberus remaster, possibly, or something like that? So uh, who knows? Because uh, it wasn't something when they, they decided they were doing everything when they started. It seems that as the production continued of Final Fantasy VII Remake, they decided, oh, hey, what if we went back and also did Crisis Core? 
Yeah, so I will say for those that, of course, are listening to this, I, I threw up my fingers crossed there about Dirge of Cerberus because I actually enjoy that game. I went out and bought I did too. Dirge of Cerberus after, I mean, years ago is when we were in Quincy, but I bought it just because I was like, dude, I want to I wanna own this, so I have the PS2 copy on my, my um, shelf yeah. here. But I... I I wonder exactly what you said because I've never played the game as I talked about before. So the DMW system, I don't know too much about it, but I do get in a weird way that it, from this article about how like the limit break was accessible through that, but now it's not going to be through it, but the rest of it's not changing. So I didn't know how that actually lends itself. And I did, as I read this article, feel, I guess, a little more justified in how I described it on our podcast, where I said, to me, it looks like a remake, but I know they're calling it a remaster. So this makes sense now, seeing what they're saying, but I guess when I keep calling it at times a remake, I also feel like, yes, in a sense, it is a remake. It's not just a a remaster, because we've seen what some remasters are. It's literally just like HD upscaling of the graphics and stuff, or some reskinning, so to speak, to make the the character models look a little smoother than they did before. But this one's definitely more on the remake level, but obviously story wise, more remaster. I'm really excited for this, though. I'm really looking forward to what this what comes of this. I am also slightly curious when the release date is now because I didn't have it in here. There's a lot of articles that I had to drop, but I mean, Square Enix just announced. You know, Diofield Chronicles coming out in September. You have Valkyrie Elysium's coming out in September. They just delayed Forspoken into 2023. You have Harvestella coming out in December. And they label this as this winter. So it's like, when does that come out now? Did they square, like, push Forspoken back because they're going to try to fill this with the October date now? Or, you know, are they going to try to go head to head with our next article and when that one releases like it's like there's a tough tough task and it's of course every game has its core audience and i think that there's going to be of course a core audience no matter when this releases they're picking it up but i do think of course now strategy wise where does square enix feel it should fall into its release calendar for the year because you don't want it to be handcuffed by another title that you're releasing or in another sense you don't want to handcuff yourself making one title fail because you release this one too close to it so very curious on it but again it's a really long article go read it we're gonna kick it over to our next one that i was just talking a little bit about and alluding to god of war ragnarok we have its release date and it's coming out on november 9th this is coming from GameSpot, and it is written by chris Pereira. and it is we finally know when god of war ragnarok is coming out sony confirmed ragnarok's release for ps4 and ps5 on november 9th making good on the repeated reassurance that it would be available this year the long-awaited release date was announced as part of a short new cg trailer which you can watch below but of course uh you got to go look it up if you're listening to this uh it shows kratos and atreus squaring off against various foes and talking about not being alone before they face off what appears to be fenrir along the release they said that uh, pre-orders will go live on july 15th there are a number of different versions i guess the one big controversy still stemming from this though is the digital deluxe collectors and special editions will not have a physical disc they're actually going to have a digital code but on the other side they did say of course uh, this has been known that you're going to have to pay for an upgrade, but if you got the PS4 version, you will just have to pay $10 to get the PS5 version. So, Pete, what did the release date do for you? 
Uh, cool. It's right in time for uh, right in time for Christmas. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, get your family members to get you uh, get you on that Christmas li- wish list right now. Set the pre-orders starting in about a week. Uh, 10 a.m. Eastern looks like when it goes. Uh, I believe you said it, but uh, there's a, you get a couple of cosmetics. Uh, Kratos uh, has a risen snow armor, and Atreus gets risen snow tunic, and then you got the various editions. Uh, you mentioned the, the deluxe edition, which is a digital only, and then they got the collector's edition, and they got the Jotnar edition, uh, and you get various like upgrade collectibles and uh, cosmetics and whatnot with those. So if you're looking forward to the game, you may as well just go pre-order it because you get the other stuff for free, even if you have to wait a little bit after it comes out to actually buy, uh, pay the pay the whole thing off. So I mean, you know. Uh, the watch the recent trailer. It was really cool. It ends what looks like they're fighting Fenrir, Fenrir uh, which is a big giant wolf uh, that's destined to fight and kill Odin from uh, Norse mythology for uh, people that aren't uh, aware of who Fenrir is. So it's, it's really interesting seeing how uh, the game goes. I've never I haven't actually played the uh, the last one. I have played God of War. I've not played the last one yet. So I do need to get on that. That'll be uh, added to my backlog as it grows ever, ever larger, like uh, similar to Jeremy's. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's cool that we got the a release date now so people can stop bothering the developers. Yeah, like we talked about last episode. But I will say, now that you have a PS5 and with, uh, of course, I'm assuming, of course, you're going to get the PS Plus uh, collection uh, at some point, uh, you do get god of war ragnarok with it so you can always jump yeah, on it and yeah. it's not it's a fairly i haven't beat it myself but i know it's a fairly linear game uh because it's mm-hmm. linear storytelling so like doesn't take a t- it's terribly long to get through but um yeah so you definitely have time of course to to get through that uh my my biggest thing from it i think it looks really cool obviously i know it's going to uh sell really well and play really well uh it's just more so of when we what are we going to get a new trailer on it an extended trailer to kind of get a better idea of what things are looking like ahead of the the release date and then also to to point it out i don't have it off the top of my head but i did see some people talking about it november 9th is like uh, an important date in in Norse mythology so it's almost like I guess a good reason on why they chose November 9th because November 9th it actually falls on a Wednesday which is not typically a date for major releases uh and then of course uh, I also want to quickly point out as much as it didn't happen but like man they almost a lot of the the people who wanted to troll Xbox almost got their wish of it, the game coming out on November 11th, the day that Starfield was supposed to come out. There's a lot of people <laughs> wanted that. Didn't happen, but November 9th almost. is fairly close. So close. Uh, I don't know about uh, November 9th specifically, but the uh, uh, looks like number nine is really important in uh, Norse mythology. The cosmology known as nine worlds are supported by Yggdrasil, which I believe is like the world tree. So, yes, yes. But, uh, Maybe that's what it was. It wasn't that November 9th in particular, but the 9th aspect. Yeah, I, I just remember that. seeing it and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Sorry so, for so let's go to our last article, of course, a little bit more on a somber note, but we do want to make mention of it. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! creator Kazuki Takahashi has died. This is coming from GameSpot, written by Darren Bonthis, and it is Yu-Gi-Oh! manga creator Kazuki Takahashi has been found dead with his body discovered in the waters off Nago, Okinawa, um, 
on July 6th. Uh, Takahashi was found floating while wearing snorkeling gear. His body was recovered by the Japanese Coast Guard. Uh, cause of death has not been revealed, at least as what I've seen at this moment. Uh, but those that don't know, maybe you weren't a Yu-Gi-Oh fan or didn't know about Takahashi. Uh, Takahashi's manga career began in 1982 with series such as Fighting Hawk and uh, Tenoshoku, uh, Donji Bure. But it was in 1996, Yu-Gi-Oh! that saw him make his mark in the industry. The manga originally featured several stories about protagonist Yugi Mutao, or for us as Yugi Moto, uh, and his dark alter ego who resolved conflicts by playing deadly games with his enemies, but it was the Duel Monsters card game featured in the series that saw its popularity massively increase over time. Uh, I'm not going to read too much more about this just because, of course, uh, you know, you guys can go find that, and Yugi, of course, is very widely known across uh, the the globe but i do gotta ask you pete because i know you tweeted out of course about this announcement uh, the news coming out about how much Yu-Gi-Oh meant to you so i guess what is your thoughts or what do you want to share with the uh, the podcast listeners about uh of course uh takahashi's untimely death uh so the biggest thing uh, i'm gonna pull it up here and y- y'all are gonna indulge me um I'm going to read the afterword for the last manga volume, or part of the afterword for the last manga volume that uh, Kazuki Takahashi wrote for Yu-Gi-Oh! Start off, In our daily life, we never see ourselves except by standing in front of a mirror, but even a mirror won't reflect our hearts. The main characters of this work, one with courage and strength of will to face each other's hearts. As we go about our lives, we touch people, we see people, and interact with them. And in doing so, we feel and think many things. Sometimes we make others happy, sometimes we hurt them. We sympathize and we disagree. In the midst of this, we learn that people's thoughts and feelings are not a one-way street. You may say that's something very basic and natural, but what I wanted to draw and write in this work was just that interaction between people, and in order to do that, I used games. The most, best, greatest thing about any game is getting to play it with other people. That is the most fun part. It makes you have friends and makes you have rivals it's you'll strive to get better because of the competitive nature the best thing about games is the people uh magic the gathering which Yu-Gi-Oh! the first time kazuki takahashi put uh card games in Yu-Gi-Oh! it was based off of it was called magic and wizards i believe it was based off of or uh, it was based off of magic the gathering originally um and the most important thing about Magic the Gathering is the gathering. That's people that play that game all the time say that. And that's the most fun part about uh, uh, playing a game. And I understand I keep repeating the same thing here. But uh, Kazuki Takahashi knew that. And when he re- when he wrote Yu-Gi-Oh!, uh, th- the clashing of the two characters was them being face-to-face with one another. And it's transferred, transformed a little bit with esports. Sometimes you're playing online. Sometimes you don't actually see the person. But that's the best part of gaming. You connect with people on a level that you don't normally connect with necessarily because, you know, some people will cheat. Some people will lie. Some people are honest to a fault. And uh, you played, uh, you know, the old term poker face. Um, and some people have them and some people don't. And, you know, you have the victories and the losses and you have to learn to be a good winner and learn to be, learn to be a good loser. And games teach you so many things and they do that by having you connect with others. And I think that was 
the most important thing that he did with his story. And he did that on a level that very few people that create anything uh, actually are able to accomplish. His first chapter for Yu-Gi-Oh! was released. I'm going a little long here, but his first chapter for Yu-Gi-Oh! was released in 1996. It is now 2022. We are on the ninth anime series. Ninth anime series for Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, it's going on a long time. It indirectly created a genre. It indirectly created a genre. The Abridged series uh, shows uh, first started by, or first kind of started by Little Karibo, and then you got uh, Team Four Star coming up. Uh, you got Project Mouthwash doing their own thing. You got a bunch of different creators now that do that uh, do parodies of anime. That started with that. Um, it created the Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, card game, which is still now going on strong. Uh, it's one of the top, most popular card games in the world. He created uh, a thing that he created focusing on games, created such a massive universe and connected so many people. And I think that's the thing I'll always remember most about uh, Yu Gi Oh! in general, specifically Kazuki Takahashi. Yeah, I don't want to add too much because you said it so well but i'm just gonna quickly just add obviously uh when it comes to card games Yu-Gi-Oh was always the one that i enjoyed the most we had the discussion when they released dual monsters uh or right dual monsters or whatever dual masters, the, dual dual masters. masters yeah when they released that uh, how i always duel, said yeah, that i, I wanted master duel you're right uh <laughs> how much i wanted i always wanted to get better at Yu-Gi-Oh, but i just knew that it was always going to be you know too much for me but i just loved what that game brought i loved the the anime um it's it's terribly sad about this happening especially at the age of 60 uh so you know again uh sad that it's happened condolences to the family the friends and of course the the people who are huge fans of Yu-Gi-Oh around the world because this is a, a a sad day that took place mm-hmm. so with that said though now we got to go uh, change directions here and talk a little bit about the upcoming releases so if you are looking to spend your hard-earned cash on a game this week i got you covered with what's going on friday july 8th we have arcadegadon for ps5 xbox series ps4 xbox one and pc klonoa fantasy reverie series for ps5 xbox series ps4 xbox one switch and pc madison for ps5 xbox series ps4 switch and pc dragon forge for pc monday july 11th you have neon blight for pc Tuesday, July 12th, you have Time on Frog Island for PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Monument Valley Panoramic Edition for PC. Monument Valley 2 Panoramic Edition for PC. Crut the Mythic Wings for PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Excel for PC. Garden Story for Xbox Series and Xbox One. Fist Forged in Shadow Torch for Switch. Hellpoint for PS5 and Xbox Series. And then the Hellpoint Blue Sun DLC for PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Wednesday, July 13th, you have Loopmancer for PC, Necrosmith for PC, The Tale of Biston for Xbox Series, Xbox One, and PC, Kingdom Gun for PC. Thursday, July 14th, you have Super UFO Fighter for Switch, PC, Ambition, A Minuet in Power, Switch, Legends in Kingdom Rush for PC, Escape Academy, PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, and PC, Eyes in the Dark, The Curious Case of One Victoria Bloom for PC, Excel, this time for Switch, Clan Folk for PC, Mothman for 1966 for PS4, 
Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Azure Striker Gunvolt 2 for Xbox Series and Xbox One. Pascal's Wager Definitive Edition for Switch. Spidersaurus for PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Dinkum for PC. Power Wash Simulator for Xbox Series and Xbox One. Toilet Chronicles for PC. Musenix for Xbox Series. Crossing Frontier for PC. And then Friday, July 15th, we have DC League of Super Pets, The Adventures of Crypto and Ace for PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Dread Out 2 for Xbox Series, Xbox Series and Xbox One. Rune Factory 5 for PC. Loud for Switch. And Immortal Tactics, War of the Eternals for PC. Pete, any of these catching your attention? Whew. Uh, three all released on Thursday, July 14th. I wanted to go a little different this time. Escape Academy. Uh, looks like a pretty fun, like a room escape game, puzzle game. Uh, Eyes in the Dark, The Curious Case of One Victoria Bloom looked interesting. Kind of like a platformer, uh, but like a black and white color kind of thing. And then uh, Power Watch Simulator, just because if uh, we got ever got a bunch of people to play it, it seems like it'd be kind of hilarious. And that's coming to Game Pass. So, I mean, you could always dive into that right away um myself with it heck yeah it's supposed to be actually a really good game uh it looked fun. funny funny enough um i for myself i guess it's kind of like some games that i've had my eye on for a while so Hellpoint, just i continue to kind of keep my eye on that game so uh, i'll obviously keep an eye on that one uh and then scrolling down toilet chronicles really cracked me up i thought that game sounded funny it was like an escape room and you got to like use um the people that's stuck in the toilet room with you to like help yeah, you cool. get out uh and then rune factory 5 i was had my eye on it for when it came out for switch i know the performance issues were what kind of dropped the score for a lot of people so i mm. wonder how well the pc version performs that would likely be the version that i would pick up but i've heard that switch updates have made the rune factory 5 performance a little bit better so i don't know it's always it's always that one thing right is like do you want the ease of portability for the switch or do you want the the better performance i don't have a steam deck so i can't i can't be like oh yeah i'll get the rune factory 5 for pc and then still have for you. what's up so the choice is made for you yeah yeah it's one of those things <laughs> i don't have the portability if i had the switch but that is all that we have for this episode is there anything else pete you want to leave our listeners with uh just be kind to one another be good to one another uh go enjoy some games games are fun games are great that's why we're here yes what pete said i want to just add because again there was a number of stories that i had to drop and not put in here uh but valkyrie elysium is coming out september 29th for ps4 and P- ps5 and then on november 11th for pc i know that a lot of people are uh crapping on that i mean i have literally a video up on my youtube channel just a short and a number of people have downvoted it because they said that it doesn't the game looks like crap but I like I like it. I think it looks pretty good. And then Diofield Chronicle, the release date did end up getting like somewhat basically confirmed. Diofield Chronicles Twitter page to my knowledge still hasn't announced that it actually is coming out this day, but it is coming out September 22nd. It's the pre-orders are already up on all the stores and it says <laughs> December uh, September 22nd. Yeah, it was yeah. it was very weird how that whole release date came out and I the headaches that that video gave me from put out a video about like hey the release date's coming out and then i see all these things saying oh that's only the japan release date so then i had to post an update being like hey it's only the japanese release date like don't don't worry yet and then like the morning of 
I saw the like literally checked it and like the PlayStation page updated while I was on there and was like, hey, it actually is coming out this day. And then it's like all these places are like, yeah, it's coming out. And then it's like Dio Field's Twitter still, to my knowledge, hasn't said anything. From Jeremy Culver, he's the one that broke the story. Hell yeah, you just gotta follow me. But yeah, those are some of the some of the things uh, to keep an eye out for. Also, there's a video top. Top 10 uh, upcoming RPGs for the rest of 2022 that you should go check out here on this channel at press start, youtube.com slash pressstart28. So and when you're done watching watching and or listening to this tomorrow or on July 8th, you can go and watch the next PSF, PSWF episode that debuts on Friday, July 8th. Boom. 4 p.m. Central Time. Convert it to your time zone so you can watch it. But that's all that we have here for the One More Game Podcast. I've been one of your co-hosts, Jeremy Culver, a.k.a. Darcy. This has been the California Thirst Quencher, Pete Legia, and we really enjoy bringing this to you. As always, everybody, stay hydrated, stay healthy, stay safe, and keep on gaming. We'll see you guys on the next episode.